Good morning, Anchorage, Alaska, the lower 48 and the rest of the world. This is Bruce Lindquist with his podcast, Wonderful Counselor. Hey guys, can you believe we are now at episode six? We have almost a thousand people that have listened to this podcast. Thanks so much, guys, from listening and from all over the world. I want to thank specifically the number one podcast downloader, which would be Germany. Then it would be the United States. And then we've got Brazil. France and Austria kind of take turns off and on. And now we have Australia. So welcome. If you're new to my podcast, I am a counselor. I've been a counselor for 35 years. And I get a chance to go on these amazing sacred journeys with people. Um, But none of those journeys compares to the journey that I'm on with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the wonderful counselor and huge, who this podcast is named after. He's the wonderful counselor, WC, capital. I'm the little wonderful counselor, little WNC. I suppose I, I should start this podcast um, with letting you know I personally do not identify as part of of the LGBTQIA2S plus community. I'm about as hetero as you're going to get. So sexual preference other than women is a foreign concept to me. Now some of you might be tempted to say that because I'm not identifying as LGBT, I have no place in the conversation. And I would put forth a challenge. Instead of looking at difference as exclusionary criteria, which we often do. How about you look at it as an invitation? You were right. I don't know what it is like to be LGBT. And I will not know unless you share with me your experience. What is it like for you? There is one, though, who does know everything about you. You know, just like me, you and I have a good, a bad, and an ugly to us. But he still loves us. And that person who loves us is Jesus Christ. So the topic, Jesus meets the LGBTQIA2S plus community, is meant to explore how you navigate your beliefs with the teachings of the Bible, more specifically with Jesus. I will share with you a lot of personal history. Mine, because I believe An appropriate level of transparency leads to a deeper conversation. I'll then share with you the Jesus of the Bible. It is my hope this will not be a one-way conversation, but after this podcast, you will add comments, how I can reach you, and we can have some dialogue, because I do want to go on a journey with you. Let me start out with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray you would reveal yourself to those who are listening and will be listening to this podcast. Amen. So I start out with a brief story of my life so that you'll have some context, again, of who you're listening to. When I was born, my mom actually died. Her death certificate was written out, and God brought her back to life and gave her back to me. She was the first person who told me God loved me. And so did she. And that God had a purpose for my life. 
The problem was, as I found out growing up, it would be a very painful journey to get there. You see, I was born with severe ADHD. And I, it was believed to have been caused by almost suffocating in my mother's womb. Since she didn't feel birth contractions and had to have an emergency C-section, I could have easily been like my oldest brother if he would have lived because he died that way. When I was younger, I had serious concentration problems. I had more energy than I knew what to do with. I'd literally jump up and down and clap repeatedly like a little monkey with a clapper you wind up. And to say that brought ridicule and stigma is an understatement. Added to that, I had extremely poor social awareness. Partly because I was legally blind and didn't know it. I couldn't read social cues, so I would irritate the heck out of people and not know what I was doing. Got no feedback that I could see. One of the most painful memories, though, for me, was sitting on a hard chair in a psychiatrist's office, probably around the age of eight, tears forming in my eyes. I couldn't quit crying. I was asking God why I'm not normal. The doctor came in and seemed clinically cold. Gave mom some meds, and after I took them, mom said, I didn't hear knack like her son, and she flushed him down the toilet, and that was the end of any mental health treatment I would receive. At the time, I did not know if, if this was a conscious thought even, but that experience had a profound impact on my life. And to this day, when I meet someone as a counselor, I work actively to establish rapport with them because I don't want them to feel the way I did. Life can be ironic going from sitting on that steel metal chair to listening to the person sitting in the chair. At age eight, I was introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ through a Billy Graham crusade on TV. And for the first time, I really heard that I was destined for hell if I did not say I was sorry to God and accepted Jesus in my heart. This was a new way of thinking for me because I just believed in a God of love who raised my mom from the dead. And this is the first time I actually feared God. After saying that prayer, I felt relieved. No hell for me. And I had no problem accepting that I needed to be forgiven. I knew I wasn't perfect. And Jesus, God, giving his life for me, that sounded pretty loving. And in my childlike heart, I knew it was true. While at home, I had mom. That was the gift from heaven. But because school for me was hell. Especially middle school and high school. I went from being this outgoing kid at home and at church and someone who loved older people, given the older age of my parents, to someone who just tried to keep their head down so they would not be hit or humiliated again. I dreaded school, and for me, it was literally my combat zone. Many times in high school, I considered ending my life as I got very depressed. However, I had mom, a few real good friends, and I knew God loved me. And knowing God had a plan for my life, it got me through. I did not make any attempts, but there were days I would rather have been dead than went to school. Now, as a counselor, I meet many people who feel and believe that way. Wishing they could not wake up was much more common than I thought. But when you're in survival mode, you're unaware of others' emotional pain 
as you're preoccupied with your own. I've since forgiven those who hurt me and that I have hurt in response to being hurt. I did not understand hurt people hurt people. And the other kids, well, they were just trying to figure it out. And no matter what group they belonged to or skill set they had, they still were just trying to navigate life. And there was a lot going on for all of them. I also did not know at the time, but I do now, anger is a fuel for depression. And holding on to unforgiveness is a weight none of us were intended to carry. Over the course of years, I would discover the abusers, which I met in counseling, whether physically, mentally, or sexually, they needed the same focus, listening, and empathy as those that were abused. And often, they were adults with wounded kids inside them. Often, those that abused had been abused themselves. When I supervised counselors, I would often hear them say, I can't work with this person because of what they did to others. And I would encourage them to read their intake and see who they were before the cycle of violence they experienced was passed on to others. You see, while hurt people hurt people, love people love people. They had so much self-hatred and needed to work through their pain of childhood. The wreckage of others on their lives, the wreckage of their lives on others. There's this wise Catholic priest who was a recovering alcoholic named Father Martin. And back in the 80s, his video series called Chalk Talk was the gold standard in education for addiction. He said this, if 30 years ago someone punches you in the face and you cry, it's their problem. But if 30 years later you're still crying about it, it's your problem. Later doing trauma work in ministry for 16 years now, I learned that we're not responsible for what others have done to us, but we are responsible for our response to it. Now, rejection and depression can draw you towards God, where there's healing, or it can push you away from God. And for me in adolescence, I allowed myself to be pushed away from God. You see, I saw myself as different, not to be celebrated, and there was this very definition growing up that was what was acceptable, and it wasn't me. As a result, I just got tired of being the good kid, and I rebelled in my youth and made one of many prodigal son journeys and each time eventually returning home to my Heavenly Father who greeted his repentant, unworthy son with a hug. I gravitated on anyone who was not like those who hurt me. And so my taste in music is how I mainly rebelled. I looked for the most rebellious album I could find. So I bought Black Sabbath's We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll. I then looked for the opposite of being this clean cut uh, with my crew cut church kid and I gravitated towards the rock group Kiss. How cool would it be to hide the person that was being rejected under glitter and makeup and rocking out to screaming fans? Have young women throwing their bras on stage? I was an adolescent after all. I liked the thought of having another identity. I also enjoyed listening to Queen, and recently in an autobiography by Freddie Mercury, he said his music was for all of them who basically didn't fit in with most of society. I could relate. 
I loved the music to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and the audience participation was a lot of fun. I remember reading the book about it, and it showed all these people coming out of the shadows to come to this movie dressed up like the characters. It was different. And I thought it was pretty cool to see people who were different than those who hunted me. They seemed safer. When I went to basic training, I met so many different people that did not look like me, that didn't even have my background. Some didn't even know there was a Washington state, only a DC. Back home, I lived in a fairly sheltered life in the military. Or sheltered life, and in the military, I made up for all the drinking I did not get to do in high school in an eight-week time frame. And I was almost thrown out of the military because of drinking before I even got started in my career. How ironic that five years later I would become a substance abuse counselor. And that would be my main vocation for many, many years. It is now. God does have a sense of humor. I prayed for the West Coast for my first assignment, and he sent me so far west I was east. He dropped me on a rock in the China Sea called Okinawa, Japan. And there, just a few months after high school, at age 18, he got my attention. This time, Jesus was not an 8-year-old kid savior. He was an 18-year-old savior and Lord. My life radically transformed, and for the first time, the Bible came alive. I couldn't get enough of it, and I received some amazing teaching and discipleship through missionaries, and especially the navigator ministry. I realized part of the purpose God created me was to share his love. It's hard to describe what happened to me, other than it was a miracle. I had not tried to change myself. God changed me. Later in life, when my children were born, I remember sitting in the operating room. At one moment, there was no life. Then I was holding my son in my arms, and there was life. It was like the book of Genesis. God had created someone new. I went from being the shy kid to sharing Jesus with everyone. I just loved people. That was at age 18. I had made a lot of mistakes along the way. And now, at 59, I'm closing in on 60. But God has remained faithful in my life. I don't identify anymore with the old black and white monsters on TV like Dracula and the Wolfman. My days of wanting to tour the world with bands like Kiss are over as as well. I do appreciate the artistry of Freddie Mercury and Joe Elliott of Death Leopard and Tim Curry. I found out who I was in Christ, though. And I didn't need any of that. I didn't need to identify as anything or anyone but a follower of Jesus Christ. And although I honor my dad and mom, who are now in heaven, and I'll always be their son, I identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the brief intro into my life. Now I'm on my second marriage and with my wife of 17 years. And as she puts it, I'm her last wife. My wife jokes. She doesn't believe in divorce, um, but she does believe in murder. And she knows where the bodies are buried. I'm a dad of three sons and a grandpa of seven grandkids, five granddaughters, and two grandsons. See, I want everyone who is listening to this to know the sole purpose of any podcast is out of the heart of love because my desire and God's desire for you is to have you have a restored relationship with Jesus. Yet many will reject his love, and I think that's what makes the next part of this podcast hard for me. 
I see many Christians making a lot of mistakes trying to communicate God's love to you. In the beginning when I went through graduate school, three things happened to me shortly that have had an impact on the way I approach this conversation and all conversations. Yes, I do realize it takes two people to have a conversation. That's why I hope you respond to the invitation. Let's start with those who are identified as transgendered. I was on a field placement when I met a young man who was confused and sad. He shared that his child was just born with both sex organs and did not know what to do. I drove him 80 miles to the hospital in Denver, Colorado. He gave me permission to meet with him and his baby's doctor. The doctor said the male sex organ turned out to be a hollow tube and was removed, and the female genitalia was hidden and was brought out. The child was a girl. Then he told me that a small portion of babies born this way, sometimes with both sex organs intact. He shared most of, the, of them, the parents decide to remove the female sex organs and have them be boys, because for many of the parents, especially many, many years ago, boys were deemed more valuable than girls. This young dad was relieved. His child was a girl, and I was happy for them. I, however, wondered why God would show me this just as I was starting graduate school. Then I realized there's a small segment of this population that would be very confused hormonally. My heart went out to them, as for some the struggle with sexual identity, gender identity, it's really a struggle. This experience put a face on the word transgendered for me. It was not as cut and dry as I thought. As I meet those who identify as transgendered, I think about that dad and his daughter. I also respect the fact there are these beautiful, sincere people just trying to figure it out. I believe this is true for many people to include those who identify somewhere in the definition of the LGBTQIA2S+. I believe, as a counselor, you have a right to your self-determination, as I do mine. However, there are those who have over-identified with part of the acronym. I believe if you're struggling for your sexual identity, or gender identity, or both, you would benefit from someone who doesn't have a dog in the fight, so to speak someone neutral, to help you explore the origins of your feelings and beliefs. What is a concern to me is so many young children are having their lives permanently altered, all kinds of body parts lopped off, different hormone treatments, and we're calling it health care, because what I would call inappropriate sexual or gender identity boundaries. Changing one's body to a different gender has ramifications that are life-changing. This is not a decision made lightly. It's not like having a few drinks and getting a tattoo. Unfortunately, there are those so opposed to even having the discussion that laws are being put in place under the disguise of anti-conversion laws. Let me be clear. Forcing someone to under, under duress to make such a life-changing decision is wrong. It's horrible. I also believe it's equally as wrong to not give people education to make these types of decisions so they can make informed decisions. In grad school, I was introduced to the construct of lenses. And based on the literature and the studies, what would it look like from a different person's perspective? I wrote lots of papers on this. What caught my eye 
were these two articles. One was about Matthew Shepard's story. And here in Colorado, a college student was beat to death because he was gay. That hurt my heart. And regardless how you identify yourself, being beat up and killed is not ever justified. I also did review an article where the author claimed the Bible supported homosexuality. Remember, this is the 90s. I reviewed it carefully, and I wrote a paper biblically based that challenged the assumptions that were made. The truth is simple, and it's painful for those who um, don't identify with their identity being a behavior. The Bible does not support any letters of LGBTQIA 2S+. So even though my empathy factor is off the charts, for the struggle, the truth of Scripture is truth. I realize that may be offensive to some, and I can't in a way understand it after all. For you, it's not a behavioral choice. It's your identity. I recently saw a few cartoons that caught my attention. The first was a Facebook post that said, Stop demonizing people. And someone show, and showed someone identifying with a rainbow. The second was a person colored with a rainbow being hugged by Jesus, looking like they were in shock. And the third was Jesus walking out of the church with someone with rainbow colors saying, I'm not welcome there either. I believe it's important to not demonize anyone, to include anyone who disagrees with you. As I said before, I work actively to deconstruct labels. I don't like being put in a box, and I have a hard time imagining others enjoy it either. It is true, the LGBTQ community has been demonized, and that is not right or loving. But it's equally as true that many in that community have demonized those who follow scripture that define, that basically um, isn't, it goes against the definition of the letters. The cartoon of Jesus embracing the person with the rainbow color hair is biblically accurate. Jesus would do that. He would embrace someone with rainbow colored hair that represents your community but he would not embrace their sin. That's where the last cartoon sends a double message. The message is Jesus embraced your lifestyle. He does not. He doesn't embrace my sin either. Once again, that may offend you, but I would rather offend you than you miss out on heaven and knowing how you were really created to be loved. I believe it's a mistake that is made in reaching out to your community and many of you have been beaten the head with a Bible by well-meaning and not so well-meaning religious people. I have also heard many people claiming they represent Christ, saying God is cool with it. I believe from the Bible, both perspectives are hurtful to you. God is not cool with sin, and God is not cool with beating people up with the Bible. I realize there are many of you who are afraid to share this truth with you because of this cancel culture on steroids. But I can't continue the narrative you've been fed, even if there are consequences from those who believe a person must believe like they do. I further believe it's unfair to expect you to change without Jesus first changing your life. You see, I don't want to change your life. I don't want you to be made in my image, and I could care less about being self-righteous. This is between you and God, not you and me. My invitation to you is to hear your story, as I've been transparent with part of mine. I don't wish to debate you, and in the end, you may have 
end up disagreeing. But your story of how you got where you are today, for me, is sacred. And I hope you accept the invitation. I hope you're willing to reach out to me, as I have to you. By now you may be saying, how do you know Jesus would not sanction or be cool with or walk in a parade for LGBT or support Pride Month for that matter? Biblically, do you know that there are literally hundreds of scriptures supporting the belief that he wouldn't? But the Holy Spirit, I believe, keeps taking me back to the scripture in the Gospels where the woman is caught in adultery which was the topic of my first podcast back in February 2021. So let's revisit that and and fit it into yourself. You've been caught by a religious mob having sex with your partner. And you're thrown out in the street half naked. All around you are people with large rocks in their hands. And they want to kill you. And Jesus walks up to the crowd. The religious mob says, according to our law, you should be put to death. It actually says that in the Old Testament. People committing adultery and sodomy are to be put to death. But what does Jesus do when he looks at the crowd? He says, you without sin cast the first stone. And they drop their rocks and leave. Let's stop there for a moment. I'm sick and tired of people who identify as LGBT being treated or looked at as the unforgivable sinners. Do you know why everyone dropped their rocks? They knew they were not without sin. See, sin separates us from God. Do you want equality? The word of God says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's equality. That's everyone. Further, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Sin kills. That's why God hates it. Plus, he's the holy God. Sin destroys relationships. If we took scriptures in their entirety, we would see every sin leads to death. See, under the law, the mob could kill you or me. However, Jesus steps in in front of the mob and reminds them we are all sinners. How Jesus responds to the woman in the story is the same as how he'd respond to any of us. And then he would say, go and sin no more. He would go further than stopping you and I from being hit with stones. Which, by the way, could be words. Could be canceling you. Could literally be like the Matthew Shepard um, incident where he was killed. He took your sin and went to the cross and died for the law's demand and was the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. You see, with God, we have stored up wrath because of our sin. And Jesus took all of what we deserve on his body. Scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. I want you to think about that for a moment. That is the God that intervened in your life. So what is your part in all of this? Asking him to forgive you. And believing by Jesus Christ dying on a cross for you and raising to life for you, you're forgiven. 
See, there's this great exchange that happens on the cross. You give Jesus your sins and he makes you a new creation. You surrender your life to him as Lord and he will name and define and control your life. You won't have any need for any other definition or identification. One of the problems some Christ followers tend to create is expecting you to change without being given the power by God to do so. I would invite you to give your life to Christ and watch what he does in your life. God does not force you to change. He invites you into a relationship. And see, some of that change happens immediately, like a restored relationship with God. But some change takes place over time, and it might even take a lifetime. You may still struggle with the same areas, but there's quite a difference between struggling and allowing sin to be your master. I started off this podcast with an invitation. We all need to drop our rocks so we can communicate. Now you may believe your identity is in one of the longest self-identifying acronyms ever constructed, which I suspect is going to get longer. You may struggle with the area of what you view as identity and God views as sin. That is something I can't resolve for you. I recommend you have a discussion with God about it. You read your Bible. You ask the hard questions. Unfortunately, the religious leaders that want to throw stones at you are not just found in some churches. They're found everywhere. They're found everywhere. They're even found in your community. Now, some who listen to this podcast may want to throw rocks at me. Go ahead if you're sinless. Let me repeat that before you cancel me. Now, some who listen to this podcast may want to throw rocks at me. Go ahead if you're sinless. As I said in the beginning of this podcast, I believe God has called me to reach out to you. Not only to the LGBT community, but to everyone. To be transparent with some of my story. Not as some virtue signaling, but as a fellow mess who wants you to be a beautiful mess. And no one experienced God's love for you. To many Christ followers, this podcast won't be in your face enough. I am, I am not, you know, I am not just hardcore about it. But I believe if I scream at you, you will, end, you will not end up in heaven because I scared the hell out of you. For others, I'll be labeled all sorts of things. Though You'll find, though, labels of others don't stick to you when you know God's definition of who you are. Aren't you tired of being labeled Jesus is waiting to give you a definition you were created with from before you were even born. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus, the name of Yeshua, the name that's above every name. And one of your definitions, God, is you are the word of God. And no matter what we do with words as people, your word is what lasts for eternity. Your word is what defines us, not ours. And we can call ourselves all kinds of things. But the truth is, who we are 
first and foremost, is made in your image. And we've all blown it. We've all sinned. Well, like I said, the prodigal son story isn't just one time. It's hundreds of times. But you meet us and you run out to us on that porch and you hug your repentant son or your repentant daughter and you meet us where we're at. Lord, we've got a long way to go to learn how to love each other like that. We have a long way to go to learn how to treat each other as sacred regardless if we embrace a rainbow for redemption or embrace a rainbow for identity. Lord God, you are our God. And Lord, I pray right now for those listening that they would enter into a relationship with you. And Lord, you know that's going to be really super hard for them to do, to surrender an identity that they've held on to, feelings they've held on to, experiences they've held on to, for what you say the truth is. But Lord, the fall messed all of us up. And we can be so sincere and things can feel so right. But our feelings have nothing to do with the truth. We have to have a standard for what is true. And you are the truth. Otherwise, truth is just dependent on our emotions. God, thank you. I pray you would give the listeners that are struggling with sexual identity and gender identity, the courage to have the conversation, the courage to explore. And, and God, I, I pray for your church that we would not be like Pharisees with rocks as people come that we would stop condemning people for sinning differently than we do. Lord, I pray that your church would be like you. I pray, God, that we would demonstrate your mercy and your love and your truth, not our self-righteousness. Lord, I pray that those who are hearing my voice now would turn to you and realize that they're not going to give an account for their life for someone else. They're going to give an account for their life to you. And I pray that they would understand how much you love them. That you hung on that cross, as it says in Romans 5.8, that God demonstrated his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, guys, it wasn't 
when we were doing all those things that we would want people to read in our funeral service and remember us by. But it's when we're doing all the horrible things that we look back on and go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. That's when Jesus died on the cross for us. He knew. He knew you at your absolute worst. And that's when he gave his life for you. And now you may say, Bruce, I don't even know if I believe in God. Talk to him about that. Because you know what? He believes in you. He created you. And he knows you more than you know yourself. He knows how many days have been allotted to your life. He knows everything that you're going to go through. And he has made a provision in advance to get you through it. You see, I started out in the introduction of this podcast when you read the little intro that Jesus will meet you where you are. He'll meet you where you are at right now. If you're thrown out in the street half naked, he meets you there. If you're holding a rock and you're getting ready to throw it at someone, or you have thrown it at someone, he meets you there. He meets you wherever you are at. But he loves you too much to leave you there. God plan for your life is to make you like Jesus to make you like himself you know what that means for me and as I look through scripture it means guys we learn how to love we, we need learn how to love other people that are different than us that think different than us that look different than us that talk different than us We learn to love. Because greater love has no one than to lay their life down. And that's what God did for us. He chose to lay down his life for us. I hope you take me up on my invitation to contact me. If you're mad and you want to say a bunch of things that are mean and hurtful, I just want you to know you're wasting your time. Because unlike other people, God has created me so labels don't stick. I know who I am in Christ. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So, Lord, I ask and I pray for everyone hearing this tonight, today that they would turn to you and they would experience what it means to have abundant life in Christ. God bless you guys. I will see you or hear from you hopefully soon.
the next podcast will probably be coming out on the 23rd of July. And uh, I hope to hear from you soon. God bless. Thank you.